Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Blizzard Watch podcast. I'm Matt. With me is my co-host, Joe. Say hi, Joe. Hi, Joe. I'm glad you did it. I was actually worried you wouldn't this time. Yeah, I, I have to. Whenever you do it, I got to. It's it's just like law at this point. All right. Uh, I'm just going to get straight to this. It's been a really insane week. It's been really crazy for everybody, I think. Personally, it's been so for me, and also at the same time, it has been in the world. Uh, we're going to take a moment here, and we're going to try and give it... We're just going to give it like a little moment of silence, give everybody a chance to just think about what's going on and how we can probably do better for each other, and I hope we do. Uh, so yeah, we're going to take that moment now. Okay, and that's that. Hopefully you're all doing okay. I, I hope you are. And if you're not, I, I hope things get to a place where you can be okay, where everybody can be okay. And that the people who are suffering and who are in need can get into a better place. Um, but we do actually talk about video games on this podcast, and I think we're going to do that now. Uh, we're going to go straight into emails because we'd like to try and communicate with you guys for once and not just talk about stuff we're thinking. We want to talk about stuff you're thinking. So if you don't mind, Joe, uh, should I, oh, you should introduce the whole thing about how to send them to us, shouldn't I? You probably should, yeah. All right, we'll do that. If you have an email for the show, you can contact us via our Patreon. We've got two channels there. One is for patrons. Uh, that's the Q and podcast channel for patrons. The other is a simple Q channel that's for anybody who goes to our our Discord server. And both of those, you can leave questions. You, if you tag them for the show, we will take a look at them and include them. Um, or you can email us, and the email is podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or blizzardwatch so we know it's for the show. I deliberately didn't use one that said lore watch on it today, even though I, I wanted to. I appreciate that. Thank you. And, and quite frankly, I think this makes me like special in some way and i think i should be patted on the head for it it just uh, solidifies our friendship that's all it does yeah. but yeah joe's going to read these to us and we're going to answer them and hopefully we can uh be of some use to y'all so go ahead joe if you don't mind absolutely you get a high elf and you get a high elf and you get a high elf Seriously, what do you think of the lore implications of the High Elves both rejoining the Blood Elves and the Void Elves? Do you think Veresa will take her place in Silvermoon? We can see from the Adder poem uh, the Theron was really affected by Kale turning back or turning his back on the High Elves to follow his pursuit in folly and his anger towards himself for not seeing the light sooner. And how would you feel about the Sethrak and Forsaken Blood Elves as allied races for the Horde and Alliance, respectively? Thanks, Uthos from Proudmoor. Um, I'm not sure how the Sethrak go into this, to be completely honest with you. Um, the, the, the snake guys? That's who the Sethrak are, right? Uh, yeah, the Sethralis, I think is what he meant, but yeah. Or is that yeah, the zone? I can't remember. Uh, Snake folk. I think. Yeah, I, I, I'm not 
Forsaken Blood Elves should probably be Horde and not Alliance, I, I think. Yeah, Sethrak is the race. Yeah, sorry. And then, like, Sethrak, I guess, would be the Alliance. The, the Sethrak don't have a, a bone to pick with the Horde. They work with them. They don't have any particular animus towards the Horde, so I don't... <clears throat> it's not like... I can understand the Nightborn choice. I, I don't like it, but as a player, but I kind of get it because, you know, Toronto is very clearly not super thrilled to see him. Whereas like the blood elves were like, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's, it's interesting how Toronto doesn't like you. We like you. We like magic. Come hang out with us. Magic is great. So, I mean, it makes sense from Look that. Look at our Sunwell. It used to be a person. Yeah. Uh, so I, I feel like the second bit doesn't really work with the first bit, but if you're just looking for my opinion as somebody just looking at those choices, uh, I could see the Forsaken Blood Elves as a horde choice. I don't really see the Sethrak ticking sides. There's no really compelling reason for them to do so. They don't have enough going on outside of that zone. So I don't really... It's not a natural fit the way a lot of the allied races have been. Like, Mechanomes, they're not going to go and join the Horde. No. I mean, maybe the goblins help them a little bit. Sure, fine, that's great. We won't kill you. But the you know but you Mechatorx, want me to turn against now. my yeah you want me to turn against my people uh, they're still my people sure I've got robot arms but I, I they're still my people so yeah for the Sethrak I don't see either faction getting them there's just not a compelling enough reason for either faction to get them I mean you could make a reason you could put in like a zone where you could put in a, a series of quests where suddenly like the hordes or the alliance save the Sethrak from something and now you'd have a compelling reason but that's not in the game right now and Forsaken Blood Elves, I mean, do you mean like the, the, the Dark Rangers type Forsaken Blood Elves or just Blood Elves that are dead, undead? Either way, it still feels like they're, that's a horrid choice. Yeah, and like I don't understand that one quite really either because, I mean, really the undead Blood Elves or undead Elves in general have not really exactly been friends of anybody uh, on the Horde side, minus the ones that worked for Sylvanas, who are very clearly still kind of working with Sylvanas. Well, some of them are. I mean, there's some stuff in the game where there's, like, Dark Rangers who are like... Some of them. No, no, F her. Uh, I'm I'm sticking with the Cinderai, yeah, like, and I'm, you know... Like the couple that show up with, uh, uh, to meet Kalia, right? Like, you have yeah, the, the Dark Warden and the Dark Rangers. And there's, for that matter, some of the undead Night Elves are clearly staying with the Horde as well. Um, yeah, there's definitely a sense that that you know, but in general, I see that as a as a as a horde choice. The using the lore the way it is currently in play, I would agree. Yeah. Now, now the for high, the first question, say, the yeah. portion, you go first. I honestly kind of like this. I like the idea of high elves getting split between both, uh, simply because that's exactly what high elves would do. Like. When we meet them at every point in time that we've actually met a High Elf, they're kind of doing their own thing. They're not part of the Alliance. They're not part of the Horde. They're kind of, I mean, they're off in their own little world doing whatever. Uh, some of them have come back and joined the Alliance, hence mages. Some of them have come back, and now they're going to be joining, you know, Blood Elves or Void Elves. It makes sense because they're individuals, and that's sort of how High Elves have been mostly portrayed since exiting the Alliance, really. Uh, they disappeared and they've all just been dealt with as individuals. Here's what I prefer, so on and so forth. And I like this because it sort of fits that narrative. They're not 
a one people anymore. They're not in themselves a unified race anymore. They don't have a main high elven city anymore. They don't have, you know, a main high elven leader really anymore. Uh, so that going either way makes sense, at least to me. Um, I, I'm not disagreeing with you exactly, but I do feel like you can actually make a lot more of a case for alliance concentrations of, of high elves than horde ones. You could absolutely. There's an there's an entire city, uh, Larian stronghold, out in Outland that is alliance high elves that had no idea that the high elves had even become the blood elves. They only found out when the dark portal was opened, and suddenly, like, wait, what? Huh? No, we we we're in the alliance, and those guys. They they worked for the uh, alliance, the Silver Covenant, who worked for Verisa, um, and still do. They still follow her. Are pretty pr- pretty predominantly high elves, and they very clearly worked for the alliance, to the point where when they tried to go back and help with uh, Zulaman, they had to like you know cut through the BS to do it. Even like you know straight up, um, Haldoran had to say you know you go tell Lorthamar that that I am working with them and that, that is that is the end of it. Uh, and so, I don't disagree with anything you said though. I want to make that clear. It yeah. does make sense because they don't really have, they they were a fractured people. The, the, the majority of survivors were in the alliance already, but keep in mind like when you're talking about these elves. The Blood Elves are like 10% of the original High Elf population. Mm-hmm. Of that 10% that survived, like 10% of them didn't become Blood Elves. And Void Elves are a small fragment of Blood Elves that effectively changed sides because of the Void influence. So having playable High Elves on either side makes sense because there's simply no leadership anymore. And... Yeah. Individual high elves could be like, I'm not really a soldier. I just want to go back home. And Silvermoon is their home. And you could see Lorthamar going, all right, you don't want to call yourself a blood elf. You don't. You haven't done the things we've done, but you, this is your home. If you're going, willing to be peaceful, if you're willing to support us, then you can come home. And I could see them joining the, the, the quote-unquote blood elves that way. Because, I mean, you could be someone – this could be your, your sister – if you're a blood elf, your sister could come home and they'd be a high elf. Mm-hmm. They never went through the they never went through the thing about tapping demon blood. They never called themselves a blood elf. They've been off doing their own thing, and now the, the dark portal's been open for like how long in game? Like 2007, our time. So we're talking easily easily a decade. Yeah, at least they may have. Fi- imagine your elder sister comes back from that war, has not been on Azeroth all the time, has no connection to the events that they've they've been living off in Outland somewhere. They come back, they're not a blood elf, because there were no blood elves when they left. But they're still your sister. You know? They don't want to fight you, you don't want to fight them. It's weird and awkward, but this is a really recent split. People forget this. This split is from Warcraft 3. Yeah, it's, that's not very long ago. The third, the third war was not very long ago. I think it's like, the third war is like 15 years ago at this point. Because four years had passed when War- when World of Warcraft came out uh, 15 years ago in real time, 16 years ago soon, uh, when it came out, there would been it said four years had passed since the uh, the Third War. So if you if you assume about it's if you go about a year for year, and assume it's been like 15 years, I think it's actually closer to 10. It's only been that many that much time, not a lot of time. 
So, and for elves who, you know, even without, you know, the, the, the immortality that the night elves used to have, elves live for like hundreds of years, if not longer. Um, there were like, um, Anisterion was, I think Anisterion was actually still alive. He, he was like young, but he was alive during the troll wars. And the troll wars were like a thousand years ago. Yep. So Anisterion only recently died. So it's one of those weird things where you kind of just have to accept that these things happen and they they have their own their own time it, it's a different time scale so yeah I, I'm fine with it I think it's a it's actually a good decision because it keeps people from like getting into arguments about it yeah I kind of wish that they'd done that with nightborn where they'd had a nightborn skin that you could take as either a, a blood elf or a night elf and then you could be a Nightborn who joined. Like they could have had the Nightborn join the Horde story-wise, but you could have a Nightborn dissenter who was like, "No, the, the Alliance helped us. I'm not going to take arms up against them." They could have done something like that, but I, I think it's really a good idea in this case. In this case, it's very good because both the Void Elves and the Blood Elves are are you know they're the Void Elves just left the Blood Elves like what a year ago. Yeah, you know it's and, there's a there's a lot of ways that this could work. So yeah. I was going to say, in the Third War, according to what I can see from the timeline, was 13 years ago from current in-game time. So, yeah, so. Not, not all that long ago. Now, the other part of your question is that you have there is, do we think Verisa will take her place in Silvermoon? I don't think Verisa will ever go back to Silvermoon. I think we're past that point. Um, yeah, the, the thing is, if you, did the, uh, if you did the Nightborn quests, you saw what happened when Verisa went back to Silvermoon. Mm -hmm. um, and the, 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 uh, the Sunwell as it currently exists is infused with like the, with the light capital T capital L. And it did not react well to all that void inside Verisa. It, it did not react well at all. And for that matter, the void did not react well to it. So uh, I believe Lorthamar straight up tells her to get out. He does says you're not welcome here um whereas he you know oryx Sunchaser has been hanging out at the light well for years and he has not he hasn't had any problems with it so they're not kicking out high elves they let high elves come in but farisa is not a high elf anymore uh whatever she is and i don't know if it's fair to call her a void elf exactly because she got her her stuff from a different source but if you think of her as an elf who is infused with a void She's she's moved past being either a high or a she's not a high, she never was a blood elf. She's definitely not a high elf anymore. So, yeah, I, I don't uh, think that that's. I, I think is. Hold on a second. Illyria is the void elf, not. Yeah, I'm actually Verisa. It's just my it's, yeah my brain. Sorry. We're talking about Verisa, Aly not Illyria. Yeah, Verisa herself is never going back to the Silver Moon for a completely different reason. Um, she hates them. Oh yeah, and part of the reason she hates them is she blames them for the death of her husband. Rightfully, like after Ronan died, you know, Ronan died because the Horde did a sneak attack on on uh, Theramore, and he sacrificed himself to save Jaina because he believed she had a destiny. And I think you know, in general, he's trying to save as many people as possible. Uh, that's why he pulled the mana bomb to himself and shielded the area around it, so when it went off, it only affected his stuff directly around him. It kills him instantly. She blames the Horde for that. Even when she was working with Sylvanas, and clearly 
when in the case of working with Sylvanas, she knew Sylvanas hadn't been directly involved in all that stuff because it wasn't her style. And also, there's familial stuff in there where Sylvanas and Verisa were connecting on a family level. But Verisa very clearly does not have a lot of respect for the Blood Elves and never has. Even before Ronan died, she saw them as traitors. She's very upfront about this. I do not expect to see Verisa, who is an absolutely high elf. She I is. Do, yeah, absolutely do not expect to see her. I, for all that, I think that Theron, we, we should talk about the Adder poem, which is in the, the new short story. Um, Kael'thas' betrayal did did really affect Lorthamar. Oh, it did. You know, and, and one of the reasons is because he, you know, he didn't see it coming. If, and even he even no. says that like that's he blatantly says I should have seen this coming, I didn't. Yeah. And even when things were bad, I still didn't see it. No, and it's it's very much a case where, for a while there, Lorthamar, you know, Lorthamar's title is Regent Lord. The reason his title was Regent Lord was because he was serving as Regent while Kael'thas was on another planet, mm-hmm. not because he actually wanted to be in charge of the Blood Elves. He was doing what he could to help his people while their true leader was off trying to cure their addiction. And then suddenly he was working for the Legion. And it was like, what? And Lorthamar found this out when Kael'thas sent fell elves into Silvermoon to steal the Naru that Lortham, that, that Kael'thas himself sent there. And it wasn't just Lorthamar either. Um, Ramath was absolutely stunned because Ramath came to Silvermoon with that thing. He brought it to Silvermoon, and he's the one who was like, "Yeah, we can drain the light out of it, and we can use that. We don't have to keep stealing, you know, power from from demons anymore. We can totally do this." And it's like the, the betrayal of Kael'thas to his people is very hard to put into words. Uh, it, it he, this is somebody who's supposed to be who's supposed to care about you, who's supposed to be in a position of authority, who's supposed to be leading you, who instead instead of doing the things they're supposed to do to lead their people, betrays them in a naked power grab. It it was it took them all by surprise. This doesn't mean they're gonna like suddenly have the high elves all come back and no matter what, but it does mean that they're willing to see the High Elves as victims the same way they're victims. So it, it does... I can see it allowing for some softening. I mean, you know. I think the most important thing out of everything here is that going back to, like, the Void Elf portion of it, like, and I understand the the, whole, the, the High Elf portion of it, uh, is that combining all the stuff with the stuff from Lothamar and the, and the Blood Elves with everything that's happened with the the Void Elves, with uh, Verisa and the High Elves still being a thing that are out there, we're poised for more exceptionally interesting Elven stories coming up, uh, especially with everything that happened with the Night Elves as well. Like, we're in a position where I would be fine if we got an expansion of nothing but here's the elves and here's everything that's going with going on with them. Here's the, you know, inner turmoil of all these factions coming to, to grips with each other and the new reality of, of their interactions with each other. I'm fine with that because elves like the, how complicated this has gotten as far as like 
the individual folks with everything, all their deep levels of hurt, because they've all been hurt at a deep level at this point. None of them are unscathed. I, like none of the Elven uh, people have ha- not had a massive tragedy of some form or another. And for some, it's more personal, but like, this is a really good point, especially with those Hiles filtering through to sort of kind of get more out of that and, and kind of go more into here's how elves are coping. Here's how society is rebuilding and, and, and things like that. So I'm all for it. Um, but yeah, that's, I don't think I have anything else to really add to that one. Do you? I mean, I could probably get natter on a bit more. I'm always good for more nattering, but <laughs> I think it's pretty it much covered. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, good day, Watchers of the Storm. I have been pugging Nazoth in order to try to catch up my cloak. After almost two months, I am still five weeks away from catching up on my main, which is a whole other thing. I have noticed that the Nazoth fight does not seem to end at 0%, but rather somewhere around 1.5 to 1.0%. It's 2%, by the way. Uh, Do you think this has any lore implications regarding the events there? Perhaps it is some sort of hint that we are not really, that we have not really dealt with anything regarding Nazoth. Regards, Gingerbeard Man. I love that name. Fantastic. Um, Matt and I have been saying this for a while. We haven't beaten Nazoth. No, he wanted everything that happened to happen. Yeah, because he wanted us to use the reoriginator on him. He was corrupting it on purpose. This is all part of his plan. We are going to end up finding out that we've we've literally handed him the keys to whatever he was trying to do. Yeah, and and that and for those that don't understand, just some background. If you haven't done the Nazoth fight, uh, you do fight him down to two percent health. At two percent health, you get the cutscene with the uh, essentially the portal from the heart chamber opening up. Uh, and blasting the reorigination beam that has been rerouted through the heart chamber uh, into Nizoth uh, with Mother and Magni sort of directing things, right? Um, yeah, that that they just... literally shoot him through your heart of Azeroth. Yeah, all that power it's that like... we've been saving up, all that power that we've been shoving into it, gets basically shoved right into Nizoth. Coincidence? I think not. Um, well, my theory has been from the beginning that the entirety of this was a means for Nazoth to actually come to terms with and fully corrupt the Titan technology that was being used to defend Azeroth. Mm-hmm. Uh, how How is that going to work out? I don't know. I don't know what the end game is, but it's very clear that from the beginning he wanted us to use the... the he, when you go to the Halls of Origination, you look at the console and there's writhing tentacles coming out of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he's already there. He's got his people doing that stuff. They're they're able to teleport in and out. When you first see your first horrific vision, where is it? It's there. It's at the halls. Like you, it, it's not anywhere else. It's specifically right there where he's trying his little experiment for the first time. Like that yeah. was always his goal. Yeah, and as to what it does. I don't, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know, like, you know, secretly he did this. I know we did something. I know that every, like, for the beginning, from the moment we walked into Nyalatha, we were in a place that didn't actually exist. Yep. We were in a dream, in a fantasy, in a delusion. The very fact that we go in and we kill Rathion, and then Rathion's like, hey, that wasn't me. Like, you know, that's the, the, that's the entire raid instance basically winking at you at this point. It's like, huh? Oh, yeah, huh? That- Get that, it? Get that it? That tone. That tone was set from the very first encounter. 
It's literally that old. If you remember the Simpsons, it's that literal thing where where the guy is stepping on Homer's foot and going, "Mr. Thompson." It's that subtle. It's it's that level of. I think he's talking to you. No, no, man, he's talking to you. That's what that raid is. That entire raid is basically just you run through it, getting further and further along the path that that Nazoth wants you to walk to get you to the point where you will do the thing Nazoth wants you to do. That's why he put his eyeball on your forehead in the first place. If you did that quest, I didn't because I am not putting an eyeball on my head because some giant tentacle monster wants me to. That is not what I do. I do not do those things. But most of you did. Let's be honest. Even if you got it cleansed, you put it on there originally. The whole reason you did it was because Nazoth saw in you the potential to achieve his ultimate goal, which was not freedom. His goal wasn't to escape. I, I think it was integration anything. with Azeroth. Something like that. I, I, I would be, I don't know if it's exactly that, but it's something along those lines. And we did it. Mm-hmm. We, we use the corrupted. There's no point where we cleanse it. You know what I'm saying? You go into the Halls of Origination, you get up to the Reorigination Chamber, you see the writhing tentacles in the console, and they pull you Hold. back to the chamber, and at no point do you cleanse it. Well, and even even beyond that, think about this too. During that entire quest chain, when you try to reach out to all of the the different locations and link them all together, what's the one location that just straight up goes, nope, Alduar's not connected. Alduar's yep, already Alduar. had to deal with all this stuff. Alduar already repelled an invasion. We did that earlier in this expansion, in case you missed it. Um, and very specifically, you have uh, Mimron just goes, nope, sorry, cutting you off. You don't get anything. Barrier, walls up, we're going. Why? He? Do you not think that they know something we don't know? Like, Mother is well, a watcher, it- sure, but they've dealt with old god stuff directly more than mother has. Mother's- oh, I, I actually I think it's exactly the opposite. I think they're already corrupted. Really? Oh yeah, are you kidding me? They get invaded how many times? Every time they get invaded again, like when when Magni goes up there and they get invaded during Legion, it's very clear that they don't have control of the fortress. And what do we do in Legion? We get rid of 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 Hela. And we have uh, Odin go back. Odin's like, I'm going to go take a visit there again. Now now that he's basically unchallenged the Prime Designate. And what's Odin's problem? Odin gave his eyeball to the Jailer. I'm telling you, there's some weird, hinky stuff going on with that whole crew. Oh, yeah. No, there definitely is some weird, hinky stuff. And I think we're going to see some more of uh, what exactly that means in Shadowlands. Because I think they're, like you just pointed out, there's definitely some implications there. And Nazoth is talking about, like, how stuff is coming in Shadowlands. He doesn't actually say in the Shadowlands expansion, because, you know, he lives in a video game. He doesn't actually say, oh, next expansion, bad stuff's coming. <laughs> but he definitely talks about how that we need him for what's coming. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, we should just embrace him, and, and he'll, he'll save us from what's coming. I definitely think that there's a, there's a struggle about that whole thing going on here. But, you know, I do not think Nazoth is gone. I don't even think he's close to gone. I don't even know if Yashaj is gone. I mean, we already know that he's not really. Well, he he wasn't, but he was, and then his heart completely disintegrated, so maybe he is. I don't know. Uh, it's one of those things, man. But old gods, they don't, they don't deal with death the same way we do. 
I would not be surprised to find out that if you kill an old god in our world, it shows up in the Shadowlands and wreaks havoc there. Because we see Void stuff doing crazy things in the Shadowlands. Uh, if you go to Bastion, that's part of the quest chain. The Void stuff is in, Void forces are invading Bastion, and there was like a whole bunch of the Kyrian like fight and die to stop them. That's like a subquest. It's not even the main storyline. It's just a subquest. So yeah, I, I definitely think Nazoth had a plan, and I think he he succeeded. I think he straight up pulled it off. Yeah, and we were definitely instrumental in making that happen because, well, we are dumb, uh, and I say this a lot. It, it, we are so incredibly short-sighted. We don't stop to think. We just kind of do, and this is what to happens. A certain, to a certain degree, though, I don't actually think that that's us being short-sighted. You can't expect somebody whose house is on fire to stop and, you know, first thing first, get out of the burning house. You can sit and think about what's going on when you're not in a house that's on fire anymore. Sure, um, but we don't. So we never stop to think about it. That's that's the we thing. Never stopped, we never stop to think about it because the house has been on fire, for like you know, for like thirty years. It just won't stop burning, and we keep going to a new room, and now that room's still on fire too. Oh, okay, we got a breather. Nope, sorry, someone lit this place on fire. What the? Uh, well, moving along there. Uh, greetings, watchers. I understand that Fury Warriors may be able to do wield one-handed weapons again in Shadowlands. I get the historic reasons for bringing back bringing that back. I've been thinking about going a different direction, though. In order to give them a bit more uniqueness, how would you feel instead about letting Prot Warriors wield a two-handed weapon and shield? Regards, Belloc of Dragonblight. P.S. While they're at it, they should bring back Gladiator Stance as well. I'm going to tell a little story here. <clears throat> back, back in the uh, Wrath of the Lich King beta, I played a Tauren on the beta. I imported my Tauren character and played that. I tanked exclusively in Fury with a shield and a two-handed weapon. That is, there were there are pictures of my character no longer on our site because you know the, the unpleasantness of five years ago. But mm -hmm. if you go to the site that has all of our old articles, you can find pictures of me tanking on that Tauren with a two-hander and a shield. It was viable up to about halfway through Wrath. It wasn't viable as an, a true raid tank, but you could tank five-man dungeons in Wrath in tight, with Titan's Grip as a Fury Warrior. You could do it. Because the stance is you can generate enough threat to hold threat. Uh, you didn't have a ton of survivability uh, because you just didn't have some of the really strong... You didn't have shield block or anything like that. But you could do it. <clears throat> and I always thought that that was perfectly perfectly valid. I've actually in the past, I've advocated for getting rid of one-handed weapons on warriors entirely. Like just having Titan's Grip be baseline for both Prot and Fury, and even for arms. <clears throat> the problem with arms is, of course, arms uses a single two-handed weapon and nothing else. Now, having Fury use two two-handers, and then Prot use a two-hander and a shield, makes arms look like they just dropped their shield or there, you know what I'm saying? It's sort of, but in a way, I'm fine with that because it would basically be the dueling spec for for warriors. It's the spec that that gives up a second weapon or a shield for more precise strikes, like a fencer. It would be the warrior version of a fencer, which is to say, they use a giant boat of a weapon because the, you know they're crazy, they, they're angry all the time. And I was fine with like the controlled, precise version of a warrior. It's still swinging around a boat 
you know, with with their one hand. I didn't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with them bringing back Single-Minded Fury either. And I wouldn't have a problem with them letting you tank as a warrior with either a one-hand or a two-hand weapon. Um, <clears throat> and a shield. I, I would have no problem with that. I don't expect that they will ever do this. For the same reason, I don't expect that they will ever bring back Gladiator Stance. Because, A, it was a talent. It meant that you, in order to get it, you had to spend a talent point, which meant you didn't get the other two choices on that talent tier. So you're already limiting yourself in your chosen talent tree in order to get a talent that turns you into not as good at another talent tree. The thing with Gladiator Stance, I loved Gladiator Stance. It wasn't viable as DPS ever, except for like the first tier of rating before you got good enough gear. It was essentially, I can go into dungeons like... um. Trying to think of the, the dungeons it was viable in. It was viable in like the the the, ra- the, the first raid dungeon of the expansion, a high mall, I think. Ye- high mall was a raid. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The first raid dungeon. That. Okay. Yep. Okay. Got it. It was it, it was viable in five mans, but it wasn't great. Um, but it was viable up to that first raid, and halfway through it, Arms and Fury both blew up in comparison to it, and then from then on. Gladiator stance was in the back was was basically in the background. And that's fine kinda. Like I, I honestly feel like we're a little bit obsessed with like being top DPS with our spec. And you should be able to like as long as the DPS spec is even remotely competitive, you should just be able to play in it. But it wasn't even remotely competitive. Because keep in mind that this was when Single Minded Fury was still in the game. War, this is Warlords of Draenor. Single-Minded Fury was well behind Titan's Grip, and it was way ahead of Gladiator Stance once it was properly geared. Once you had the, the gear from that raid, Gladiator Stance just wasn't viable anymore. I know a lot of people loved it. I loved it. I thought it was great. I loved doing stuff with it. But honestly, they took away specs in general. Warriors don't have any, and they're not coming back in Shadowlands. Yeah. There's no there's no Battle Stance. There's no Berserker Stance. There's no Gladiator. There's no it's Tanking specs. Stance at all. They're just no. There's no stances. You have specs now. That's it. That's all you yeah, have. Yeah, you have specs, and that's it. So I don't see it coming back. That doesn't mean I don't like it. If they were, if they were to bring it back, they should bring it back in a way that's that's integral to the warrior class, which would mean bringing stances back. And as much as they are bringing stuff back that they pruned out, I don't see them bringing stances back because stances. If stances are meaningful, they have to have restrictions as well as bonuses. And if they have restrictions, they can make it harder to play a warrior. And this is a balancing act that, that Blizzard in general has been trying to do for years. Um, let's 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 move to totems for a second because that way Joe can have a more meaningful discussion here. We're just talking about warriors all the time. Yeah, I know you I, play I, warriors. Uh, I can't contribute anything to the warriors right now. No, I ahead. know you can, know, yeah. but... <laughs> You can contribute a lot more about totems, yeah. though, because you know, with totems, they had the problem of, in order to use your totems effectively, you had to get four of them down. Yes. And that was a problem for a lot of reasons. It was one of the reasons that for a lot of stuff, people preferred paladins to shaman. But paladins pushed every- the button and had an aura. Shaman had to, we were ramp ups, right? Like. Yeah. Now, if they ramp up properly, shaman could be really strong. Yes. But. It was really strong as long as you stay within range of this totem 
which is going to be put where the shaman is. So if the shaman wants it to be in the best possible place, they might have to move over to put it in the right place so everybody gets it. And then they might have to move back because they need to get away from the boss because they're arranged class or because they're healing or whatever, depending on it. There's a lot of complication to it. Sometimes that's good. And I think shaman have gone too far in the opposite direction. They've lost too much. And it's, it's good to see totems come back in the case of warrior stances. As somebody who's, who's played a couple of warriors, you've played warriors, the normal amount most people have. What are your thoughts on stances? How do you feel about them coming back? What would you be willing to see them? do? So, so here's the thing, right? Like, I actually liked stances. I thought it was cool. I thought it was interesting. And I like the idea of having the, like, almost have, like, the idea of having each spec have access to different stances to make them a little more unique and give them a little more versatility. And here's why. And, and, and this is something, like, and, I, and again, I know you play Warriors a lot more than I do, and you have a lot more, lot more uh, specific love to them, but... I always wanted warriors in WoW to feel like the true masters of weapons in warfare that they were supposed to be. And we've never really gotten that. They don't have access to weapons that nobody else has. Everybody can use every weapon that a warrior can use. There's no uniqueness there. But stances felt unique back in the day. Like, they they gave you a certain amount of versatility that other classes, aside from a druid, couldn't emulate. And even druids did not do it as well as warriors back then in some regards. There was fallout. There was falloff for DPS for druids back in the day, um, whereas warriors were, even if they weren't great, to me, they felt consistent. Um, But I always wondered why they never really revisited the flavor of warriors. And because... It just feels so weird to me. They're not really unique in the flavor. Like, okay, two-handed weapon, like, Death Knights can do that. And so can Paladins. So why do you need a warrior? Uh, Dual-wielding giant weapons. Uh, some other classes can do that. They can't do two, uh, uh, two-handers, two right? Like, no other class can do that. But even that, with the size of most swords now and most weapons in-game, eh. Like, they, some one-handers look like two-handers. Um, yeah, but but let's be real. Um, the stat boost from two two-handed weapons is a significant one. It's it's you get a lot more stamina and and strength from using two two-handed weapons. There is an actual mechanical advantage. I, I understand that, but I'm, that, I'm, that's fair. I'm just saying flavor. Thing, here's my thing about flavor and about why stances would need a, an overhaul. In order for stances to have that flavor you want, they have to have restrictions as well as bonuses. Yes, they do. You cannot have a stance that just gives you everything. There has to be a there has to be a give and take. Yeah, absolutely. If that happens, you are making the warrior harder to play. That's just a fact. Now, you are restricting the warrior's ability to do the jobs that it's supposed to do compared to classes that don't sure. have stances. And that means uh, people will play the other classes, which they are already doing. Warriors are one of the least played classes. They have always been one of the least played classes. Paladins has always outshone them. And once we got Death Knights, Death Knights outshone them. Of the plate classes, Warriors are number three. Of the tank classes, Warriors are something like number four or five. They just are played less. And that's because they started off with a harder-to-grasp mechanic that did not grant anything that was commensurate with what it cost. 
Now, now they need. Um, this is not me saying stances are bad or that they shouldn't exist, and this is not me saying that gladiator stance was bad and shouldn't exist. I feel entirely the opposite, but I am saying that I understand why, on a design level, you wanted to take out that thing that complicated gameplay, because if you were a great warrior, and I am not claiming to have ever been a great warrior, but if you were a great warrior. You could really use stances to your advantage. You could dance through them. You could you, you could switch over, break a fear, switch back. There was a lot of use to this, but it cost you. And that cost was, was something that a lot of players could not get their heads around. Because when you talk about, you compare them to druids, druid forms have a clear, obvious, visible difference that even switches their bars when they shapeshift. You know what you get when you move from cat to bear. When you move from bear to moonkin, it's visually distinct. You immediately grasp it, and it's different. It is a different thing. Going from, say, defensive stance to berserker stance back in the day didn't even change your bars. So what did you actually get? Now, if you knew what you got, you knew why you were doing it. But it wasn't so obvious. It didn't, and it didn't bring with it the customization. The flavor thing you're talking about is very real. Mm-hmm. It didn't have it. Like I could tank as a Fury Warrior. I did tank as a Fury Warrior for the entirety of original World of Warcraft. And I didn't have to switch to to being a a, a prot spec warrior ever. And that's not great. And that kind of thing. This is why I really do feel like they should bring stances back, but I feel like your your idea about making those stances differentiate the, the specs and the class more is something that really needs to happen. There needs to be something like, and it can't be a talent. It can't cost you a talent point. No, it has to be something different. It has to be something more meaningful. Yeah, like imagine no. if every prop warrior did have gladiator stance, and they could switch over from defensive to offensive if every fury warrior had another stance like they had berserker stance they could go into they take more damage they do more damage and their attacks are different now uh every arms warrior had say uh, i'm going to use a don't want to use gladiator had battle master stance where like suddenly their parry goes way up and their strikes are more precise so they have a higher crit chance there's and and you also want like you talked about how there's no weapons that warriors can just use and it's just warriors and that's that's a real problem. And I don't know exactly how to solve so, it. They solved it in Diablo I, 3, though. I, I had an idea about this, um, uh, like, years ago. And I want to run this by you and see what your take is on it. And you could you could absolutely shoot this down. But one of the things that always intrigued me about some other MMOs that were out there is that it wasn't just necessarily always the Holy Trinity. It wasn't just heal, DPS, and tank. There was controller aspects to it as well. Uh, City of Heroes, Wildstar. Um, there's a bunch of games that have come out that have had, contr- uh, even Lord of the Rings Online, had controller-focused classes. Um, and in some cases, they were very warrior-esque. You could have a controller built, like a, there was an actual class in City of Heroes controller, but you could build a scrapper in such a way that it was all about debuffs, buffs, and moving things around, and it felt very, very unique. I always kind of wondered why that wasn't something they might have explored. Like you said, the Battlemaster type thing, 
where a battle master is all about buffing those around them, you know, giving your uh, your compatriots more attack power, swing speed, or or something, whether it's shouts or things like that, where that's their that's their specific niche, that's their flavor because that's the general in war, that's the frontline commander going into battle and like saying you over there duck and and calling out those battle commands. Something like that I could see being very warrior-centric and very flavorful. Or, like, a debuffer, like, for me, go the gladiator stance. And uh, and I'm going to forget the name of this, or I'm going to pronounce it horribly. It was, like, uh, Retiarius. Retiarius. Um, it was the net-style fighting of gladiatorial combat, where it was about moving bodies around, and you would see them not necessarily in one-on-one combat, but, like, when they had like squad on squad combat and they were pinning folks down and debuffing essentially their targets so that the rest of their group could get in there and do their thing. And I would think maybe having something like that for warriors again, with like unique weapons, maybe they have access to whips and nets now or something like that, or, or maybe they have an exclusive thing to like a a form of gladius or, or pike or something that nobody else does to give it sort of that unique flair. I think that would be cool, and it's something that I think other games have done well, and people did latch on to, because I remember when playing City Heroes, controllers were everywhere. You could not spit without finding a controller. Um, yeah, but quite honestly, that's why City of Heroes got bad for a while. It was I, I, very hard to play it, because literally everyone was like, got to be a controller with this build. It's like, oh god, the specific controller I, build, okay. I'll go look it up. I'm not, I'm not going oh, to dispute that. Here's, here's my thing. I don't necessarily think that that's a bad idea in and of itself. I do think that for warriors, paladins are a much better pick for the class that does less damage and does more control. Um, and for a warrior, I feel like the controlling thing should almost be less controlling and more... Like, I could see a buff-based warrior class, like one that either buffs their buffs their group or debuffs the other group, I can see that. But it almost feels like it doesn't work with any current spec. It might work for sure. arms. And and you could definitely rejigger arms to be that. Fury should just be raw damage. Right. It well, should like, be, like, I would, it should be yeah, near the I top. Would, I was going to go that. Like, Fury should be like the Barbarian. Like, like lean literally, into yes. it. Lean into it. That's one of the things that I've always felt about Fury is it should be raw damage. The fact that Arms has Mortal Strike, which puts that healing debuff, that was such a big deal for so long, that's where you should go with Arms, where they have a strike that debuffs healing. They have a strike that, say, like hinders their... You know, Imagine if they had a strike that debuffs healing, they had a strike that lowers attack power mm-hmm. or damage that the thing puts out. And you put them on a target, and you tell you basically cripple this thing for us, and that should be the kind of thing an arms warrior does, and I'd be fine with that. I just think that in general, what arms needs, what all warriors need, isn't a redesign to make them do a new thing. We don't need to introduce a control element or whatever, or if you do, it can be done using stuff that's already in the game. Sure. But what, but what they need, really, what they seriously need is to figure out a way to... Oh, i got to stop saying seriously because it makes my iPad freak out every time. Uh, <laughs> what they need more than anything is simply to go back, look at those basic ideas for the class, and figure out a way to do them so that they don't introduce complexity at the cost of, of interesting gameplay. 
and but not only that's just the thing. not just complexity at the cost of gameplay, but but it implemented in a way that doesn't necessarily say, but I can do this with another class easier, right? Well, that's the thing is is it, it's never going to be a case in World of Warcraft that there's not another class that can do what you do. There's, sure, they're just not going to be. We yeah. are at the point where we have so many classes. There, there's always going to be overlap. Yeah, absolutely. But for the warrior, the way that I would want to see the warrior work, and you know, I've been playing this class. It's not even a question of me thinking I like them more than other people. I've just seen a lot of them. I think some of the best warrior class design was in, say, Cataclysm. The prot, the prot warrior class design in Cataclysm was world class. It was great because it was a mobile tanking class that didn't it wasn't limited to standing there and taking a beating and their their threat generation was all about spreading bleeds around and getting things angry at you and and like ramping up your threat as you went and it was really fun and it was really engaging and i remember switching from dps to prot at the end of cataclysm and i was a beast like i I switched guilds and immediately started main tanking on in my new guild, which you were in. Yep. So you saw me do it. I started yep. main tanking like the second I showed up. Yep. I'd only been tanking in Cataclysm for like a month before I joined that guild. And that's just how good prot warriors were. And they weren't good at a way that overshined other classes. They didn't make you want to get rid of all your other tanks, but you wanted to make sure you had a warrior because they brought that element. We need a we need an ad tank. This class is perfect for it, and other classes could do it. You can't. You can't tell me a Death Knight couldn't add tank, but the you warrior know, did it in a unique way. That's what we need. We need these things to be done in a unique way, not necessarily better or worse, but different and their own. And you know what? We talk about that a lot too. And this is another. And I'm not trying to just go off in a million different directions, but it's another topic that I think comes up a lot, at least with my circle of of player friends and I don't know if it does with you with people you talk with but we always talk about this sort of I don't want to say uniqueness uh, of character clashes but like it used to be back when things were you know the classic burning crusade and that that era everything had a niche and I'm not saying we go way back to that right um but things have gotten so hybrid so hybrid's not the right word so even across like there's really no difference to bringing certain classes to do certain roles anymore because there's no niches like you said having that warrior because it was just like the go-to to do this thing but could do the other things as well that felt good at least to a player like it was the same thing for it like felt, me as a shaman resto shaman right like it felt it, good but at the same time you've complained about being a resto shaman because other classes can do the stuff you do and then they don't have the problems you have yeah that's the danger in that design and it's absolutely the problem we're in in world of warcraft right now in that sometimes you go too far to homogenization and i yes totally that, agree that's with you. the word i was thinking about Thank you. Yeah, they totally you go t you go too far towards homogenization. The problem is, is if you go too far in another direction, you end up with a clear winner. I, and I agree. Like you ha and I'm not saying that it's easy. And I'm not saying that it's it's something that you can flip a switch and like it's going to be okay. Or that it's like it's not even something that I can go in there and say I have a solution for it. And I hate presenting something and not being ha having a clear cut way to get to that endpoint. But it's something I think about a lot. Is how do you find that balance between 
like niche without overpowering it so much that that's all that that class can do versus everything is so homogenized that the classes don't matter anymore. And I know that that's what they've been doing the last several expansions. It's it's just such it's such a weird point. Yeah, I, I think at this point, though, we do need to move on because we've basically spent, like, I don't know, close to 20 minutes talking about this. <laughs> and if you don't play a warrior, you don't care. So there's a lot of people going, oh, my God, are they ever going to shut up? So <laughs> I'm going to say we should move on. Certainly. I could keep talking about this all day. You don't. You have no idea. As can like, I, I, I actually have a, I have a 35, I've got a 35-minute response to what he just said. But we're going to move on. <laughs> Uh, our next one. Hello, watchers. I recently got back into the game and have been catching up on the Death Knight Order Hall. How are the Paladins and Death Knights not at open war right now? Thanks, Gling, Pandaren, Death Knight. That's a, I mean, bigger fish to fry really is what it boils down to, I think. Uh, well, the de- if you're a Paladin, you you kind of won that fight. Like, the yeah. Death Knights decided to pick a fight with you, stormed in your Order Hall, and got their the Death Lord fried, not the Death Lord, the High Lord, you know, Darian Mograine got him got him fried, and then they left. So from your perspective, you you won, and the dem- the superiority of the light was dis- was demonstrated, and the Death Knights slunk back to their holes. Um, if you're a Death Knight, you know it didn't work, and you have bigger things to deal with. You don't. You don't have a, you didn't have a grudge against the Paladins in the first place. You were simply going to go and reanimate Tyrion Fordering into being a Death Knight because you needed a Death Knight to lead the Horsemen. That didn't work out. Darian's now leading the Horsemen. You got what you needed, and you're good. It was never. It's it's weird because there's it's not like there's an actual rivalry here. Like Death Knights don't care about the living. It. it, it if paladins want to go around being paladins, well, you're going to die someday, and we'll see how you feel after that. And for paladins, death knights are weird and and creepy, certainly, and there's lots of reasons why paladins would not like death knights, but they've never really, like, since their return and they're joining the Horde and the Alliance, those death knights have been, on the whole, a creepy but useful group up until that point in Legion. I'm going to let Joe talk now because he probably has some opinions on this, but that's my take on it. Each group is basically looking at it from a different perspective, and that perspective is for the Paladins, like, well, that taught them a lesson, and for the Death Knights, it's like, whatever. Yeah, so, I mean, I I can't really add too much to it because you've kind of hit on all the high points there, but it's also, there really hasn't been enough time for them to really sit there and kind of argue with each other since. Like, even if they wanted to, even if there was... Uh, individuals specifically that were looking for uh, a fight between paladins and death knights, we had the Legion to deal with. Then after the Legion was done, then we had all of the un- uh, Battle for Azeroth stuff from start to finish to deal with. And that's not an inconsiderable amount of attention that had to be spent, right? And then you have to wonder how much the higher-ups on the death knight side might have known or might have been planning for because, and we talked about this before, their commanders really weren't present during Battle for Azeroth, really. So, what were they doing? Were they was the Lich King filling them in a little bit, giving them a uh, heads up on what was going to happen? Was Bolvar planning ahead? And then you have the Paladins, who they don't really care about Death Knight stuff, 
they've got their own things to worry about, whether it's, you know, champion in the light, preserving everything from this, you know, eternal darkness that, that we're eventually going to have to fight off. They've got other things to worry about. Both sides have their own things to worry about. And so like factoring in the other things that like Matt said, Paladins won that fight. Okay, cool. There's also been several attempts in the past with Death Knight's storming Light's Hope Chapel and, and stuff like that. And how did that work out? There really is no continuous beef. They've clashed. Things went, went away. They're good. So I, I I don't think that it was really ever a question of whether or not they'd be going to war with each other openly. Yeah, I, I'd argue it's less they're good and more like the Paladins like, well, we won. Yeah, we're done. You know? When I say we're yeah. good, I mean we're done. We, we've we've proved our point. Well, the thing about being a paladin is, generally speaking, once you've actually given someone a solid thrashing, you don't then go and take bloody revenge on them for trying it because mm-hmm. you're a paladin. You know, you're supposed to be good. That's the whole paladin thing. Even if you you use the World of Warcraft definition, where there's no strict, there's no alignment, and we're just talking about, it's just not in the code. Even like the Blood Knights. You know, you don't just you don't keep kicking them once they're down. It's just not very paladin-y. Yeah, it's not it's not the, it's not the way of the light. Yeah, it's just not done. And um, and, so, and for all their and for all their their gothiness, the Death Knights are pretty like if you listen to any of Darian Morgrain's speeches, it's all about honor and duty and stuff like that as well. It's not just plus, plus he's pragmatic. He is. What is the, what purpose is, does it no, serve? Yeah, there's no purpose to us fighting with the paladins. If the, we thought the paladins had some kind of artifact that would benefit us and help us defend Azeroth from the forces of that would seek to destroy it, that that the living can't comprehend, then absolutely. But without that benefit, the the, Pal- the, the Death Knights went to Light's Hope to get Tyrion's body, mm-hmm. not because they don't like paladins. They don't care about paladins. They cared about that specific paladin. With that removed, there's no purpose to fighting with them now. And that's the thing. You're dealing with a group of altruists versus a group of pragmatists. The pragmatists will only attack the altruists if there's something in it for them. The altruists will never attack the pragmatists unless they have to. And so there's an inherent restraint built into the system. The only time you're going to get a conflict is if the altruists see the pragmatists doing something they consider wrong, or the pragmatists see a benefit in attacking the altruists. I mean, in that same expansion, the Death Knights just went over and straight up asked the Paladins for help with something. Uh, if, you, if you're if you a Death Knight and you want to... I think it's a Paladin. You get the Corrupted Ashbringer. Uh, the, the Paladins went over and said, you know, hey, help me get this Corrupted Ashbringer skin. And the Death Knights were like, all right. They didn't, like, not do it. You know what I'm saying? And this was before... I think, canonically speaking, this is before the attack, but it's they, they knew they were going to do it, and they still helped them because it didn't it didn't hurt them any. It didn't mm-hmm. have any effect. That's you got to keep that in mind when you're looking at these two groups. Uh, I think we have time to finish out what we got here. Uh, let's go with right. our next one from Verdigree. 
Uh, question for the Blizzard Watch podcast from Vertigree Forsaken Arcane Mage. Seeing as it's Draenor time walking, I found myself in the Everbloom, the dungeon where a uh, Kirantor explosion uh, goes horribly wrong and the primals make it very close to Stormwind. And the corrupted Kirantor had some great abilities to be envious of, like Frozen Snap that traps you in an ice block and Black Hole that is like Zarya's ultimate. What class theme NPC abilities would you like dream of being incorporated into players' toolkits? Uh, Cadgar had tons of cool stuff, and we've been friends of his for years. Yours, Vertigree. Um, One of the things I really liked that they did give Shaman, I don't know if Shamans still have this, but they had the ability to transform into an ascended elemental form. We still have it. Yeah, and that that's one of my favorites that they actually got, that they put in game. One of the things I'd absolutely love is if they put in, like, an Elemental Lord ability, where, like, for once every, like, ten minutes or something, kind of like a, it's, it's a big ability, you transform into, like, a, like, an, uh, like a herald of, like, the Lord of whatever element you, you're looking for. And you effectively turn into Ragnaros and just smash everybody with Sulphuros, and then you turn back. Or you turn into you turn into Neptalon and drown everybody, or you turn into Alakir, who's back. Uh, no, no, Alakir's not back. It's it's uh, Thunderon. Thunderon's the uh, elemental Thunder, lord yeah. now, right? Yep. You, you turn into Thunderon and just give people a good old smash with uh, Thunder Fury, and that would be cool. I would love to see stuff like that. Um, for for like other classes like paladins, um, honestly, I, I can't think of anything paladins don't already have. Like they, there's no really big a paladin ability from an NPC that I don't think pa that paladins don't already have. They have pretty much everything. Um, I mean, can you think of one? No, not really. Uh, Death Knights, Death Knights got a lot of abilities that, that they got from Arthas that are like you know like for instance uh, Army of the Dead, Summoning the Frost Worm. The Defile thing in particular was just my favorite when they got that. Hunters had Stampede, and I don't know if they still have it. I haven't played my Hunter this expansion, unfortunately. Uh, but Stampede was one that I really loved. I, hearing him, I'm mentioning stuff that they got. Uh, I, I can't think of anything... Like, I mean, I've always talked about one of the things I want for Warriors is I seriously want like a, them to introduce a category of weapons that's too big for anybody but Warriors to use. Like, straight up, like a three-handed weapon. Like, it's just, this thing's enormous. It's Mighty Weapons from Diablo, I'll just say it. I want them to bring Mighty Weapons from Diablo in and give them to Warriors, and only Warriors. And either you'd have it, like, you know how they have Warglaves that they only let uh, Demon Hunters use? Mm -hmm. They're on the loot tables. Put these Mighty Weapons on the loot tables, and only Warriors could use them. Like, it's, it's a, it's, it's a one-handed sword, but it's a Mighty Sword, so only a Warrior can use it. Um, and that would be cool. But that's just me. What do you got? I mean, I could go on a rant about how give me back my dang totems. <laughs> yeah, they kind uh, of are giving you back some of your totems. Some of them, but like there, I, I was thinking about this when I was leveling again, and how many of the NPCs have just so many different totems, and like even back when we had a bunch of totems, NPCs still seem to have more than we did. Uh, mind control totems, fire nova totems, all these other types of things. Um. Honestly, though, the other one for priests, I want that light form from the Sunwell that they never got. I think they had it for like a hot minute and then it was taken out. It was like in a beta and then it was gone. Um, 
But like those are the two that stick out to me. Is just like the various amount of NPC totems. Give a couple of them back to me, please. And that light form that would probably make me play a healing priest. All right. Wow. Nothing that would make me play a priest. So. <laughs> Sky come to my, my house with five thousand dollars, and I wouldn't play a priest. <laughs> That's not true. Come if you want to try it out. Come over with five thousand dollars. I'll play it for five minutes. Sure. Um, our last question of the day comes from Metal Zani. Uh, question for the Blizzard Watch podcast. Good day to you folks. When naming new characters, do all of your characters follow the same naming scenarios, uh, such as such as are they all from the same universe or named after a character or in a show or a movie? I ask because I can't be the only one who sits there trying to decide what the character should be named based on how I will play them. The second question, are there any races in WoW you have a hard time playing due to their lore or just how they are portrayed in game. I mainly play Horde, but I can't seem to enjoy playing a Goblin or Undead lately. Thanks for what you do. I can't play Gnomes. Like, straight up, I just cannot do it. I don't know why. I like Gnomes for the most part. I think they're the most evil race in all of WoW, the most devious, and have the most capacity for completely destroying or taking over the world if they really wanted to. Uh... But I just can't play a gnome. Every time I do it, it's it's like mages. Maybe I'll try it again. Maybe I'll get lucky like I did with mages and, and I'll hit a stride where I start actually enjoying it. But just I just can't seem to really like playing them. Uh, before I answer the naming thing, do you want to kick in on the racist stuff? Um, I'm at a point where I can't play any horde race. Um, they There has to be a story resolution to what happened in this expansion where there's some sort of culpability or I just can't do it. Uh, and it makes me sad because I miss my Tauren. Like you wouldn't believe I loved my Tauren, but you can't do this and then have nothing happen. And that's what's happened. And it's happened before. Uh, I am in my history of playing world of Warcraft. The horde have committed acts of semi genocide on like three occasions now and there's never been any sort of reckoning for it. Uh, the closest we got to reckoning for it was the Alliance standing in the middle of Orgrimmar, having helped to defeat Garrosh, Hellscream, and then just sort of leaving. And literally nothing happened. And that, that's like, you know, um, there's between Gilneas, Theramore, and Teldrassil, like, it, it just... I don't begrudge players who play Horde. I don't think that this is your deal. And I don't even think it's a bad story. It's just one of those things where I can't personally get to a place where I feel comfortable. I was playing my Tauren uh, in the, the ramp-up to Battle for Azeroth. And I got to a point where I realized what was about to happen. And I realized my Tauren had made it happen. Yeah. My character was responsible. There, there's a lot of real horrible moments like that for, for and, Horde players. And I couldn't play him after that. I've had I've tried to level him since, and it just feels like no, it's just not something I can do. And again, I, this is not a horde player's problem. Uh, I don't. If you play horde, that's not your deal. This is purely my thing, and it's just that that's a thing. Uh, aside from that, they fixed it. I used to really hate the worgen snuffling noise, but they oh, backed yeah. down on that. Thankfully. Um, They've they've made it less prevalent, and I like that they fixed the, uh, like Worgen female faces, so they're not that the snarl they used to have on the side used to drive me nuts because if you've ever had even just a dog and looked at what it does when it snarls, 
it lifts its front muzzle lip. Yep. It doesn't keep its front muzzle lips together and lift the side. No, nothing does that. I'm trying to do it now on a human and it's not possible. You're going to tell me that wolves do this? No. No, they lift the front part because that's where the teeth are. They show those teeth. Yeah. It was like, it was just, it drove me nuts from the beginning. So they fixed that too, and we're going to now playable again. And I think in Shadowlands, I'm going to finally be able to play Horde again because I think they're going to, if not fix some address it, they're just going to move past it. So I am okay with that. But that's, that's, those are for, you can move on to the second part of the question because I think I'm done there. Okay. Yeah, as far as naming conventions go, um, I don't know about Matt, uh, but with um, in very rare circumstances do I deviate. Everything is a form of loader for me. Uh, I My mage is spell loader. My uh, rogue is crit loader. Uh, I have war loader as my warrior. Like It's not exactly the, the most uh, complicated naming scheme. Um, the, the, the most... Uh, ambitious of them was my druid, which is named Low Fur instead of Low Dur. Um, that I always is some variation of that, with the exception I, I have like uh, a couple D and D deities that I was able to snag names for way back when, and I'm never relinquishing them. Like I have Umberly and Clangaden, and I'm not getting rid of those ever. I'm just disappointed he's never named a character Kurt Loader. <laughs> Uh, and if you remember, you remember MTV. You remember I was going to say, I was going to say, there are so many people that are not going to get that reference. <laughs> the worst part is that I didn't even remember him. I have a book called Bat Chain Puller, mm -hmm. which is just a great book of his essays when he worked for Rolling Stone. Uh, he did an interview with Prince that was fantastic because he's nothing. Prince refused to actually meet him after they'd agreed to the interview. So the interview is him talking to other people about Prince and them saying stuff like. Yeah, he's got he he's got a lot to say about God. I think he thinks he's related to God <laughs> and stuff like that. And it's just you know, quite frankly, Prince. If Prince did think that, I'm not willing to argue with him. Um, but for me, the naming thing, there's there's three main things for me. There's I have my very first character whose name was based on a on a short story I was writing at the time, and. I've since that character and his name have kind of weaved into several other characters. Um, and those characters are named after characters from, from some short stories I was working on. Uh, I have other characters whose names are literally just nonsense, like straight up, just a noise that I made. Like I, I will sit around and make noises and think, do I like this? Um, but the vast majority are based on stories that I've written. Like you know, even stories no one's seen, but just stuff I wrote and looked at and felt cool and, and used it again later. And the the third is this one's really, really hard to explain. Uh, Joe, Joe mentioned using D and D character like Clangadin uh, and, and Umberly from the Forgotten Realms. Those are just, those are deities from, from various D and D campaigns. I had a D and D game that ran back way back in the day. This was like my first or second, the first or second game that I played in. That was, it was me and my cousin and a couple other people. And our characters, like, my character was basically just the main character from the Fire and Ice movie. Uh, complete with the wolf hat and, and 
you could tell this was an AD&D character because he dual wielded you know swords and he was a he was a ranger but he dual wielded swords and had a pet wolf and he had a hat that let him talk to wolves and it was a very it, it just it was that kind of game it was your second D&D game where you kind of go nuts and it was AD&D that the, it was first edition AD&D mhm means it's actually like second or third edition but it, whatever there, there was Something a lot like of that yeah there was like D&D and AD&D. You don't need to know all this to understand what I'm saying. I've named characters after characters from that game forever. Like I, I still do it. And they're characters. These are the players. And and I've used their characters' names because, I mean, I've, I've lost touch with some of those people. I was like 12 when we played in this game. I, some of those people I've never seen again. I don't even remember their names. I remember the names of their characters, though. And I have continued to use them. My hunter in WoW is named after one of my friend's characters who wasn't wasn't a, a ranger or anything. I don't even remember what. I think she was a priest. I mean, cleric. Uh, I think she was a cleric. But I, I've named I've named like three or four characters after her variations on her character's name, uh, and so forth. Uh, I also use mythology from time to time, but my wife's much more about that than I am. Um, but yeah, that's that AD and D game. Going back to like 1983 or four, has has influenced about 20% of my character names. Like I, I still think I, and the best part is that I get weird about it. Like I use it like variant spellings and stuff, just so I don't, so I don't have two characters with the same name, because you don't want that. So yeah, I'm not proud of this, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there there you are. But I think that's all we have for today, folks. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Yeah, I'm going to take a moment here. Uh, I just wanted to say, and I think I'm, I'm, I feel fairly okay speaking for Joe here because he can always jump in and tell me to shut up. Uh, but I wanted to thank you guys because I know that stuff is really difficult to deal with right now and we're all kind of hurting. And I really appreciate you guys taking some time with all that happening to, to hang out with us and listen to us ramble on about video games and other stuff. Because, you know, it it, it, it does help. For me personally, it gives me something to do. It gives me something to focus on that isn't horrible. And I wanted to say thank you for that. Thank you for choosing to spend time with us. Thank you for being in community with us. I, I, if you have anything you want to say on that, Joe, go for it. It's much the same for me. I want to thank everybody who comes to hang out with us and spend time with us and interact with us. You help. And I know that that's something that you hear sometimes and maybe don't really believe, but anytime I interact with you, whether it's in chat uh, or whether it's on Twitter or in discord or anything like that, those positive interactions are very, very important and very appreciated. Um, they've kept me sane over the last several weeks with everything that's been going on. Um, so thank you very much for that. Uh, I, not trying to be all mushy, but I love you guys. Seriously. Yeah, thank you. Um, this has been the Blizzard Watch Podcast. Hopefully, we will be here next week. 